This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Lamigo. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Gwen Peña-Seguenza about going from zero to cloud engineer. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 140. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I am Rebecca Marshburn. And this is Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Jeremy. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you being? I am feeling much better after having COVID. Um, So it was like two weeks ago, something like that. And it was awful. The first week was like just head cold stuff. And then basically after that, um, it was a headache for a week straight, which was uh, pretty rough. So luckily, I am feeling better now. And uh, I actually got to go to MongoDB World yesterday, which was pretty exciting. I would love to hear about what that was exciting. I also knew that you weren't feeling hot because, you know, in our text threads, usually you you bring the cleverness and instead you're like, yes, can do. It's like, right. oh no, Jeremy must My not brain be was well. just in a fog, could not process it. I, I actually drove down to New York City um, just because it's faster for me to drive than it is to like get on an airplane and do all that stuff. So when I do that, I listen to Audible books usually or podcasts, something like that. But on my way down on Tuesday night, I was listening to a book called Category Creation by Anthony Canada, I think his name is. And there was a part in it. It was like perfect. It was like sort of serendipitous that this came up where he was talking about the difference of having a event in person, like a, a conference in person versus having a virtual one. And basically said that having a conference in person is like going to a sporting event like being there, like you're just consumed by the event. There's so many things going on, like you're constantly whatever. Whereas if you watch a, uh, you know, you watch a basketball game at home or something like that, where it's like, ah, you get up, you get a drink, you know, and of course now we can pause it and whatever. So just you're disengaged, whereas it's so much better to be in person. So being down at MongoDB World, it was just funny because I get there and I'm like, yeah, this is such a thing. I gave a talk and I got the energy up in the room and it's just, it's an absolutely amazing feeling. So I know we've been doing all these virtual conferences, but I am so happy that we are back to being able to do some of these things in person now. It is super exciting, and I am going to make a shameless plug that also leads us into introducing our guest. Perfect. Um, If that sounds good. Okay, so shameless plug, but really because I do think it, it serves our listeners and our community really well. Common Room HQ has put together a developer relations compensation survey. And what we've been seeing is that there's like really good emerging data around like what community managers and community leaders make in terms of salary compensation transparency. But that doesn't yet exist in a very specific, informative, contextual way Mm. for developer relations and developer advocates and people in that space. And so we have the survey. You can find it. It's on our at Common Room HQ Twitter. And then we'll be posting it on our website as well. And then folks like Mary Thingval and Sean Wang. And Tessa Creasel from Devicate are our collaborators on the survey to make sure it makes the most sense and to the developers in the space. So please take that survey. We will share the results freely back in the month of July, probably in later July. We have a data team. We're going to splice up the information in ways that make it really accessible, really useful, so that you can have more contextual conversations when it comes to compensation. So please go take that survey. I think it will help everyone understand better how to have these conversations with an informed understanding of what they should bring to the table and what they bring to the table in terms of just that that monetary value. Obviously, people bring all sorts of things to the table. That being right. said, 
talking about advocacy, developer advocacy, cloud advocacy. Mm. Would you like to introduce our guest today? I would. And I would also like to say about that survey is the more open, transparent salary data and things like that, that just makes it so much easier for people to to know what they're worth and not have to have these secret conversations. I think that is absolutely amazing. So that's great stuff there. And I know I mentioned I love going to conferences in person. I do. But one really effective way to learn, I think, and for people to advocate and teach you how to do cloud and things like that is to use YouTube, right? Or to use any sort of uh, online media, some sort of virtual way to do it. So our guest today is a cloud advocate at Microsoft, uh, a content creator on YouTube. You might know her as GPS. Gwen Peñas and Gwenza is our guest today. Gwen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. This is awesome. I'm a big fan. I've been listening. I remember the first episode I listened to was the Linda Nichols one back in May. Oh, nice. I think or March of 2020. And that was the first time I was like, I really want to dig more into serverless things. I want to listen to more of these episodes. I've, I'm a big fan of Linda. So yeah, it's great. We to, love Linda. It's great yeah. to, Thanks, Linda. <laughs> it's, great to, it's great to be here with, with both of you. Excited for the chat. Awesome. And for people's context, uh, we were introduced because of Forrest Brazil. He, I was like, hey, Forrest, you know, we'd love to have you on the show. He's like, yeah, yeah, I've been on there before. Let me tell you about people who are amazing in this space. And your name came up. Mm -hmm. He was like, you got to talk to Gwen. And so thanks to like communities for those connections and to you trusting us and trusting Forrest to put us together. It's always really fun when someone's like, don't talk to me. Talk to Gwen. <laughs> talk to this person. Shout out to Forrest. You're like building from first. Yeah. You're like building from first principles in terms of like starting from the beginning, starting from zero, showing people the whole journey. So really glad to have you here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just read a tweet earlier today that was something like, uh, what does a developer want to hear in four <laughs> words? And one of the responses was something like, uh, I appreciate your work. One of the things that we love to hear is that this program inspires people, like gets them interested in the subject matter. And there's so many amazing people in this space that, uh, you know, if somebody clicks with you, that's that's awesome. So that that is super great to hear. So now that you're now that you're in the, the serverless space, could you tell us a little bit or tell the audience a little bit about not only your background a little bit, but uh, what you do at Microsoft as a as a cloud advocate? Yeah, it's I'm going to try to keep it uh short because you know everyone's story is super long and there's so many uh sideways steps and things like that which i believe is a, a very beautiful and unique thing to everyone's story but i started in in tech at like an apple store i was selling phones and i got quickly tired of that because i don't know if you've ever been to an apple store that's in a mall on a sunday but people can get <laughs> aggressive like very very aggressive so after doing that for like a year i'm already nervous <laughs> <laughs> after after doing that for about a year and a half i was like i got to do something else and i'm i'm a college dropout i did about two semesters of comp sci and then i was like this just i was also you know very arrogant teenager i'm like i'm better than this i can teach myself all these things on my own oh i don't like this teacher this teacher doesn't like me whatever so i dropped out and um I was like, I will i i i enjoy tech i know i kind of want to dive into it more but i didn't really know where that was going to take me so I landed a help desk role and I am a big fan of help desk roles because of how entry level friendly it is for people getting into the space without having like fancy credentials or a degree and whatnot. I did that for about a year and a half and I was introduced to an infrastructure team there who was working with AWS and I didn't really get hands on with anything, but I became cool and friends with them. And at one point, some of them, one of them told me, hey, why don't you uh, take a look at this AWS certification? Like was the developer certification specifically. and I was like, okay. And this was complete foreign to me because I had some like programming knowledge from school and I had some like database knowledge and things like that, but nothing when it came to like cloud. So I spent about six months studying for that certification, which when I tell people now that they're like, it took you that long to study? And I was like, yeah, it took me that long. But then I, 
I recently found my notes that I took and it was it's like a 60 page PDF. And I really went in to like just learn all the content for that certification. I got it after a couple of months. I felt like very comfortable with like, okay, I need to go find roles that I can like build on these skills. Uh, I landed a sysadmin role and they were working with moving things to Azure. And in the job description, I was like, you'll, there'll be potential for you to work on like things with Azure. I was like, cool. That's all I need to know. Interviewed, went well. Uh, and then after like a bunch of like onboarding and things like that, I was quickly sort of thrown into like, hey, we need to do these things in Azure. I'm like, I have no idea, but I'm down to do it. And, and my manager was very cool. We're still very cool to this day. I've, I've, I think with my career, like one of the biggest like um, impacts that I've had is I've, I've always had very cool managers that have been very supportive. Uh, obviously, some of that is on me and my performance and the fact that I'm willing to put in the work and stuff like that. But I've just been very lucky with like great, great people um, who have supported my career and quickly got on to like do a bunch of Azure projects. And I remember the first automation like thing that I had to automate, I, I used Azure Logic Apps and Azure Functions. I didn't have really any any like traditional software dev or when you think of like deploying things on virtual machines or, or more of like the traditional model. None of that experience. I went straight to serverless. And I didn't even know it was serverless. I didn't even know what I was getting into. I was just like, all right, this sounds like something I could potentially like manage on my own. So let me do that. <laughs> that turned, <laughs> And then that turned into automating a bunch more complex things and then and, and developing these 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 processes that save the company like hours and lots of money and, and things like that. At one point, the, you know, the pandemic hit and, and we were doing fully remote. I had more time. I'm like, I kind of want to make videos. I've always had an interest in making videos. I just didn't know what was the thing that I wanted to make videos on. So I had become a cloud engineer by then. And I was like, I'll just make tutorials and stuff that I'm doing. And I would share them on Reddit, share them on like Twitter and things like that. And that's where I met, how I met Jeff Holland, who's also been on, on, mm -hmm. on serverless chats. Uh, he found one of my Azure Functions videos on the Azure subreddit and he shared it on Twitter. And at this point I had maybe like 19 followers or something like that. He shares and he's like, oh, this is great. Like, I hope you keep doing these. And then that for me was enough to be like, oh, I want to, I, I have to absolutely keep doing this. And then I recently told Jeff to this because he's made a career move. And I told him like, look, because of people like you, and I hope we get more people like you in this space, like I was encouraged to continue like following this thing that interests me and was, which was the support that I wasn't necessarily getting at my role that I was in then or with my team that I was mm. there, but I was getting it from other people on online and like with community, things like that. That turned into me being like, oh, I want to do more like community work. I still want it to be technical, but I don't want to be necessarily be like an engineer every day, all the time. And I was like, what? and I was introduced to what advocacy was then. I was like, oh, this is actually mm. job. And, 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 and I, I had a brief uh, six months at A Cloud Guru, which is where I went for us. Fantastic company for us. Is it such an amazing leader? It's such, such a creative person when it comes to like this technical content things as well. And also just one of the smartest people I've ever met. And then the role, a role of developer advocate here at Microsoft opened up and I was like, it just, I feel like I didn't want to leave iCloud Guru because it was great. It was, I feel a little too soon, but I was always like, I've always wanted to work at Microsoft and it worked out. And I think long story short, here I am. <laughs> I think, I mean, knowing how wonderful the iCloud Guru team is too, I can only imagine that they were like, go do what it is you've always dreamt oh, of. Oh, absolutely. You know, that it yeah, was, my, my, yeah. my manager was like, you got to do it. I'm, I'm like, I'm sad that you, you got to go. You're actually not allowed to work here, Gwen. You have to go do yeah, it. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And we're, we're still, my manager at A-Club Guru, we're still very close as well. Again, like I said, I've always had just great managers. I'm so, so, so thankful for that. But yeah, it was, my time there was very impactful as well. And I wouldn't be where I'm at here and doing the things that I did without all the stuff that I learned there as well. Well, little do you know, or maybe you do, but uh, 
your introduction has teed up so many of the questions that we're about to ask you. Perfect. But we're going to start with one. I usually, I've been like saving these toward the end, but I like to like go through someone's Twitter and see what they've tweeted about recently or something that's on their mind. And the one that actually stood out to me was one that you posted and I have like pinned from December 16th, 2020. But you're like, what if everyone in tech started out in help desk? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. It got over a thousand likes. There's 186 comments, like over 400 like retweets. And I love that tweet because it's not only part of your origin story, but man, it's so true. Yeah. You're like, yeah, either that. And I think um, I started out in food service. And I think both of those things feel very similar where you're like, you know what? Like be at the help desk, be at food service, be in some sort of thing where you both learn deep empathy mm -hmm. as mm. well as like not only for the person trying to help you, but also like just how chaotic things can get and who you don't want to be in like a, a moment of let's say, stress, how you don't want to treat others <laughs> while also learning how you do want to treat others. Um, so I loved that thread. We will post that, that uh, link to that thread in the show notes because there are like quite a few really interesting answers. I am curious if any answer still stands out to you to this day. I can't really think of one specific to me whenever I think of that thread. And I was just thinking about it yesterday. So it's interesting uh, that what we're talking about now is is just the amount of people who are like, I started a help desk and I'm here. I work at Google. I work at Amazon. I work at Microsoft. I work here. I like do this. I'm like a distinguishing engineer here. I'm like the amount of people that started from like a support role and to ended up to like turning their career where they wanted it to go, I think is we need more of that. We need more of this transparency. We need, I think oftentimes we sort of downplay our own stories because we've lived in and it's like oh yeah who's this going to help but I, I the reason I've wanted to find that thread yesterday was because I was doing a live stream and oftentimes I'll hop on and I'll just answer career questions or things that I've sort of gone through and someone asked me like well I, I feel like I can't I can't get anywhere if I start and help this I was like no I t like here is like go through these replies and you'll see like people who actually share their stories like no this is this is like you can actually do this but yeah I, I, I think it was also interesting to see how many companies have developers or other other roles that are outside of the help desk do some time in their help desk as well. I think that was very interesting to see. Uh, overall, it was a very positive thread. I think a lot of people would also agree, like you learn a lot at, in the help desk role that are skills that you're going to carry yeah. on for the rest of your career. There were some people who were like, that's a terrible idea. Sure. But, you know, that's social media. So um, <laughs> and they have the reasons, of course. Uh, but overall, I, I, yeah, that was an interesting time of uh, when I used Twitter and the, the replies were great. Yeah, yeah so, I love that. Uh, fun fact, I uh, started my first internship um, was as a help desk um, support at a PR firm. And this is what happened for me is, well, besides the fact that you get to a point where basically you just tell people to restart their computer. That was <laughs> one thing that was the easiest solution. But what was great was I made friends with all the, the tech and IT people that were there. And then we did a whole or they did a whole sort of uh, re-networking. They brought in new switches and things like that. And I learned how to do networking um, from all of them because it was sort of like, well, I have the phone clipped to my, you know, to my belt and then I could go and do and watch them do this other stuff. So there was just a huge learning opportunity there. At, at that particular, you know, that particular organization that I was at, but it was a good sized company. There's 200 some odd people there. Mm -hmm. But I think that's right. I think, you know, um, uh, Rebecca, you said it, the empathy that you, when you're talking to people and you get their frustrations. And then for me, it was, I would hear the same thing over and over again. Like, oh, we're having issues with this ODBC connector into our accounting software thing, whatever. So you'd have to go and you'd always have to fix it or whatever. And I remember just saying to myself, I'm like, wouldn't it be great 
if I could just fix this problem, right, so that nobody had it again. Mm -hmm. um, and that got me more into software development, actually, at that point, because I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be cool to build these things and just make them work correctly? Um, then, of course, you realize, like, it's very hard to make software work correctly. So you you, you get the frustration there. But I do think that is a, I think it's totally worth it. I mean, it, I, it dramatically helped my career. I launched a, you know, a web development company after that and, and did hosting and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the knowledge I picked up from that internship at a help desk. Absolutely. I like to think of my time in help desk, the years that I didn't do in college. It's because, you know, in college, you get like a lot of like general classes. You should have kind of right. trying to figure out where you wanted to go. I like help desk was that for me, except I was getting paid. <laughs> that does sound As pretty good. As opposed to paying or acquiring <laughs> debt uh, in order yeah. to be in college. Yeah. yeah. So guess what time it is? We've officially made it to talking about serverless. <laughs> serverless time. <laughs> So speaking of serverless, uh, Datadog recently released their state of serverless report. Uh, a little bit different this time than it was, I think, last year. Last year was focused a lot more on the tools. This year, it, it kind of dove into this idea of how many companies are using serverless. And it, it expanded the idea of what maybe serverless is. Mm -hmm. uh, and it started including a lot of these container services. And I know that Azure just launched Azure Container Services or something like that. There's so many names. So if I got it wrong, I apologize. Uh, but uh, so there's now this idea where it's like, you know, people that are learning serverless, you know, they're learning the uh, different managed services. Obviously, there's FAST in there, right? So whether it's Azure Functions or Google Cloud Functions or uh, Lambda or any of the other ones that are coming out. But there's also a bunch of other services like Google Cloud Run, which is just, I think, way ahead of the curve when it comes to quote unquote serverless containers but then there's app runner and then azure and a bunch of these other ones and then as well as a, a bunch of other companies that are starting these sort of container scaling things that are calling themselves serverless and so forth mm -hmm. semantics whatever but i'm just curious what you what you think about this sort of shift into you know sort of where i guess serverless is now being you know considered containers as well as fast as all these managed services and so forth I think it's first interesting. I feel like serverless used to get so much hate and now everyone wants to slap serverless onto their their names, right? right. It's like, oh, we got to do, we got to. But back, you know, a couple of years ago, I remember being in rooms and people would laugh at like, oh, yeah, that's that's fun for a little like a little automation thing. But in production, it's yeah, never going to work, right? right? <laughs> so like, yeah. okay, underdogs on top now, which is awesome. It's ah, it's interesting. I, I feel like, yeah, we're moving from like, uh, I guess maybe the core of what serverless actually is to now it being... I, it almost feels like, oh, any managed service, you can slap serverless onto it. And then that's, right. that is what it is. And then you go into the discussion of like, well, what actually is serverless? Does, is that worthy of the name or whatever it is? And, and, and I, I, think, I, I think that is something for other people. That, not that I wouldn't want to figure it out, but I, I think for me, it's more so like, all right, so if I want to introduce someone to serverless, how, like, how would I go? And I think you and I were sort of briefly discussed this before where it's like, it is getting a lot of complex to just get into the space because it's now it's more mm. so like it's not just like, oh, if I need event driven code, I can go, you know, find a fast service that works for me. It's more like, no, well, what actually am I trying to use serverless with? Is it the containers? Or, and then we start talking about DevOps or is it like the databases? Because, you know, I think of like things like Cosmos DB now as like a serverless consumption plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's getting maybe bloated isn't the right word, but it's more so like there's just so many paths. And, and I, 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 yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, maybe it's bloated or like conflated, right? Or just like they're like, let's put all the words in the bucket. Yeah. And so, 
you had touched on this a little bit, but to broaden it out for for listeners, that idea of like flexibility. But when you add flexibility or you add like serverless as an addendum to any other managed service, that's also added complexity mm-hmm. versus simplicity, right? Where maybe the beginning of serverless was like reduce all parts of cognitive load except for writing the code. Like you write the code, the rest of the cognitive load is somewhere else. Obviously, we have, I think, moved much more toward here's a bunch of flexibility, which is added complexity. Mm-hmm. Maybe you call it flexibility. Maybe you just call it stuff. But where do you see the state of serverless today? And, and how are we looking or should we look for the future? Do you feel specifically as you're building with these new services that you're like, this actually doesn't feel in te- like inherently right or like I actually want this to be simpler. I don't want all these knobs. And um, when you see other builders get started with serverless, do you see a feature where they should or shouldn't? be like trying to like get too deep in where they're getting like stuck in the details where like the goal of serverless is like the simplicity yeah it's interesting it's more so like we 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 started by stripping down and like okay just the absolute essentials let's just worry about the code and now it's like oh well now do we need the container options do we need the database options to also be serverless and like oh we have so much more to think about it's like we were trying to not think about this in the first place right <laughs> uh, yeah I, I i that's that's a hard one because i feel like for, well, for, so for example, when I was more focused on like functions, so Azure Functions, the fast offering that Azure has, uh, and that was that's always sort of been my serverless experience and sort of like where I continue to grow because Azure Functions continues to grow, adopt more languages, more features and things like that. And that's sort of like I can spend the rest of my, I guess, car- maybe not the whole career, but a big chunk of it just focused on functions and there will be like lots to do there, right? But now even I found myself the other day, I was like, should I be like, thinking about container apps because like everyone's talking about containers and like every you know uh i feel like if you're not talking about it you're going to be left out and if you're not upskilling in that kind of space you're going to be left behind or you can't find a job or whatever it is like should i be shifting my focus to to learning container apps which i think is to be fair a very cool service i think the Mm -hmm. idea behind it is i mean it's nothing new um you know i think you mentioned google what is it cloud run the cloud run cloud run which has been yeah. kind of like the staple when it comes to that area uh, for a while right. now. Yeah, it's it's a t- it's it's hard because I understand that the making more things serverless makes sense because people want to people want to save money. But it's also like oh as like a someone who wants to come into the space or someone who is is in the space it's like I I don't really feel like I can focus anymore. It's more so it's like oh how do I adapt my solutions to like also incorporate these new things because you know Everyone wants new things because marketing words makes your, your you, if you put it in your pitch or you put it in your deck, like you can like raise a bunch of money or whatnot, right? So, Web3 crypto serverless. Yeah, right? Like <laughs> The more buzzwords you have, the better. Serverless Web3, I'm sure, I'm sure that's the thing, right? That's got to be a thing. That's got to be, be a thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess it makes sense. I just, I think there was, there's something very special about serverless where it's like, okay, the, the, it really does matter. Like it just care about your business logic. So I would hope we wouldn't lose that and turn it into, you know, something that it was never meant to be. But then again, like how much control do we have over over that? You you brought up a, something super interesting where you're like, okay, if you're losing focus, let's say as a cloud advocate or as a developer, as a builder, mm-hmm. there's this thing where, okay, we used to in the serverless space have to, when I was at AWS, we'd have to say, yeah, but look at your total cost of ownership. Serverless is actually really good for TCO. And now it kind of feels like you're saying, not that you're making this claim, but if you're losing focus as a developer, let's say the total cost of ownership, sure, the now some of the products or what you're building or the app might be a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. But if it's taking a lot longer time to build it, yeah. or if it's taking 
developers and engineers or advocates longer to explain it, longer to onboard new people, then there's probably a total cost of ownership thing that at some point you're like, we actually, again, have to return to this idea of total cost, cost of ownership or TCO, looking at it from the other side now of what we're trying to solve. Yeah, I think in, in tech, we often fixate too much on how the actual, how much the tech costs or how much this plan is going to, or this tier is going to cost me. And then we tend to forget about like, everything else that comes outside of that. Right? It just like the example of me, like yesterday I was supposed to be working on this demo thing and I kind of got sucked into thinking if I should use it with container apps and I ended up not building it. Uh, so now I have to build it after this. Uh, but then that time could have been spent actually going with, you know, using functions instead of like trying to re re-architect it into something that it's not that it necessarily wouldn't benefit, but the time spent there is already like that's money there. Right. And right. are we really yeah, you're right. Are we really saving by by having everything serverless? Because then we have to think about it. Then we, have, we just, just just for example, Azure itself has ten different services that you can deploy containers on. Some of them have serverless mm. options. So it's like, all right, if I want to go that route, I got to go through all these services and figure out which one's great for me. But how much time is that going to take me? Right. Right. So yeah, it's are we still saving money? Pro maybe, maybe not. Who knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so what's interesting is, and this is this is something that I, I've been trying to sort of articulate, and I haven't done a, a good job of it yet, but I think that it's becoming clear. And and what what Rebecca said about TCO, and what you said again about the cognitive load, and having to think about these different things. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was nice about Serverless when it first launched was it was relatively simple, right? And even as you're adding more services, you're like, okay, well now you have a database service that you can access, fine. And there's an API gateway, and then we're like, okay, well now there's a GraphQL service that's a little separate. Now we have logic apps, and we have step function. So I get it. We're adding some complexity, but you're still thinking about the ultimate thing being functions. Mm. Then suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute. Now there's some things that the cloud can do that you don't even need functions for. So if the if this service can do that computation for you, now you don't need that. And now you, you know, sort of lock that into some specific service. And then when it comes to containers, you've got to ask yourself, well, it might be cheaper to run something on containers in a serverless container, but now I have to package that specifically for containers as opposed to a Lambda function or an Azure function or whatever. Mm -hmm. And maybe I can deploy the same code, uh, the same containerized app to a Lambda that I can whatever, and maybe there's some things there. But now you're starting to make a lot of architectural choices, right? And you start saying, well, okay, I have you know maybe some events coming in from a queue. I don't want to have those hit a webhook mm -hmm on a containerized app, it's just easier to run those in a Lambda function or in a Google Cloud function. So maybe that's better to do there. But then I my HTTP traffic for my API, like, well, maybe that makes more sense to run in an app because I can I can uh, get the cost to be a little bit lower. Because one thing about serverless costs is they're linear, right? So the more usage, it's not like you, until you hit some major discount levels, you typically don't see a reduction in cost. Mm -hmm. And again, yesterday I was at, I was saying at MongoDB World, and they mentioned that their new serverless Atlas or Atlas serverless instances that they have, they actually set it up so that they scale, or the cost goes up linearly until you get to a point where it starts to level off. And then actually when you get enough usage, it's like 90% discount over the on-demand price as it gets greater. And I think that's a really interesting billing model that serverless and serverless services have to move to mm -hmm. is as you start to get more stable workloads, yeah, get the benefit of the elasticity, pay for that, that's fine. But maybe as you start to get to a point where 
these workloads look more like provision workloads with just a little bit of variability, still be able to use serverless, but still have the cost benefits, right? Because you get to that point where it's like 10 requests per minute. You're like, okay, I can handle this. 100 requests per minute, getting expensive. 1,000 requests per minute. Okay, now this is starting to get really pricey. Yeah. And then you get to, you know, whatever, some high level of scale. And you're like, this is insane. I could hire an entire team of developers or DevOps people to come in and watch servers for me. And it would be 10 times cheaper. cheaper. So anyways, I think that's an interesting place where we are now where it's like, I think serverless scales really well, but is the cost, the TCO and all those kind of things actually worth it when you get to that point? Yeah, I, th I think the challenge is also like, for example, my first, well, my, I guess my first time using serverless technology was back in like 2017. And, and for then, then for me, it was from like just reading docs and things, it was really clear as to when you would use functions and even a combination of like logic apps and functions because I feel like those two have always worked in a way where it's like oh if you're trying to accomplish this you could use this and do the handoff to functions or handoff to logic apps in a clear scenario whereas to now I have like no idea I don't think I would like to say like oh I would go straight to something like a fast or a lot or a low code no code whatever but like you mentioned like oh you got to consider now you can have serverless containers or like well the database and all these kinds of things so I, 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 I have a uh, not a fear that might be a strong word but like serverless is trying to adapt for everything like this model that you mentioned mm. is interesting it's like okay i can see like people who have like more traditional workloads would would see like the benefit of having something like this the, like you mentioned atlas offers i was like okay i can see that but it's like are we trying to serverless became a thing because there were like very specific use cases where you your use case will shine when you use serverless and now i feel like that area mm. is just so gray or becoming very gray where it's like oh is there's not a clear like yes serverless it's an easy sell now it's like, ah, uh, there's, it's a little tougher now. Right. I, uh, I'm i like laughing a little bit because we love serverless on the show, obviously serverless chats and our guests, uh, we imagine also really enjoy serverless and that's why they would have chosen to be guests. So I'm like laughing because we're like, ooh, serverless. Ah, and we're like, actually, we love you, serverless. We just want to make sure you're the best that you can be. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it, right? We mm -hmm. just want to make it the best that it can be. And and, that, and that's the biggest thing for me because I'm, I'm not an official developer advocate or anything like that. But I feel like just with what I do with the show and the newsletter and the other things I do, I'm an advocate for serverless. And I criticize a lot of it because I think you can't be in that you can't look at a technology and say, this is a silver bullet. This is going to solve all your problems, no. right? And, you know, with the, the current product um, that I'm working on, like we found a lot of, a lot of rough edges that we ran into um, with, with how, you know, the traditional ways that you're supposed to use serverless, right? And, and serverless containers is one of those things that for us came up as like, this is a huge cost savings and, and it's not as hard to manage just the, or it's not going to say hard to manage, but it's not that much harder to manage because it does most of the work for you. It's just a matter of getting the packaging right uh, and making sure that, you know, the routing is correct and some of these other things. So there's a lot to think about, but yeah, I mean, I just, I look at it and I say serverless, I think is the way I think that regardless of whether you slap a serverless logo or a serverless name on it or whatever, it doesn't matter. It, the, the point is, is the type of applications we're starting to build are getting to this self-managed infinite scale or, you know, I guess auto-managed, whatever, self-managing, you don't have to manage it yourself. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this auto scale and, uh, you know, event driven type thing, which is another thing, by the way, I started adding every time I give a serverless talk. I always give the four bullet points of like, you know, it's it's scalable, it you pay per value, you pay for value, blah blah blah. And then I always add an event driven there because I feel like unless you're putting a webhook on a container, then it's not really event driven, right? So I'm trying to draw a line there, but but anyways, I don't know, I'm just rambling on, but this is the thing is that serverless, I love it. I love the the promise of it, but I feel like people are 
I don't know. I feel like we're not quite heading in the the best direction we could be. Yeah, I would definitely like to see more of a clear definition as to like you know what it is. I I to me I 100% agree event driven is is just is a stable. I think it just has to be. If it if it's not event driven, I don't think it can be considered uh serverless. I mean, I'm not the person who defines these things, but that's just my humble opinion. Uh but I've always thought whenever I th- think serverless, I always think event driven. And I feel like that's a very popular like I think most people would share that uh opinion as well from what I I've heard. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Lumigo. Gain full visibility into Lambda invocation flows quickly with Lumigo, the cloud monitoring and troubleshooting platform that helps developers like you see the whole story end to end. Resolve critical issues in serverless and distributed environments, giving you better insights into your Lambda's mind. Start free today at Lumigo.io. Let's talk about a little bit of definitions. Okay, so I would say there's like three sort of primary uh, serverless provider or, you know, cloud providers that focus on serverless. There's Azure Functions, Microsoft, GCP Cloud Functions, Mm -hmm. Google, and then the AWS serverless portfolio, Lambda et al. There are certainly more players in this space, but we'll use those three kind of large ones. Oftentimes, right, people are limited or not limited, but they are building on whatever cloud provider their organization uses. But when people get to choose whether or not they're working on their own project or maybe they're looking to work in an organization specifically based on what cloud provider they want to build on, do you know, like, can you describe, how do people, how does Azure, how does Microsoft describe what they believe is is serverless, right? Like, what is their, what are their tenants, if you will? And then do people ever ask you around like, hey, what should I know if I'm trying to build on Azure fun- functions versus Google Cloud versus AWS? Do you get these questions around like, what do I need to know per cloud provider? And then how how should I imagine I operate, let's say, working with Azure Functions? Yeah, absolutely. So we we, we ideally define serverless as paper, what you're using. And when you're not, when it's not in use, you're not being charged. Also, it's um, stateless. Uh, so your, nice. your code, I, I guess it's code. At the end of the day, it's code, right? Runs in, in a stateless container. And I'm not talking about like serverless containers as more so the infrastructure that your code is running in stateless and all, like scalable, like you uh, mentioned already. And I think to answer your, your, your following question there, it's like what is sort of like a heads up when 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 people want to work with Azure serverless is more so, yes, I work at Microsoft, but I and I know Azure has its its great pros and, and, and things, but I'm also very like honest and transparent. I think that's a very big part of advocacy. I would say like the tooling and like what you're trying to use to build your application and such when it comes to languages is, is one thing to consider. I know when it comes to like Python, like Lambda has just overall like one, some of the best support out there. It's also the GCP. When it comes to .NET, no one can beat us. I will also say we have durable functions. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with durable functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an extension on top of Azure Functions. So if you do want to create architectures like Fanout or um, uh, chaining or things like that, you can, I don't know if there's anything similar to that in other cloud providers. Uh, but I think that's a, a, a pretty unique offering that we have with Azure Functions as well. But yeah, it's more so, uh, uh, it's not that I don't think that you can find something to use in Azure for whatever it is that you're looking to build. It's more so consider everything. And the good thing is that you have plenty of options. And the good thing is a lot of them are somewhat similar. But I feel like though I'm like a functions person end to end, if I needed to go figure out how to build something in Lambda, I could probably do it. If I needed to figure out how to do something in, in uh, uh, Cloud Functions, I could probably do it as well. 
Uh, but I think, yeah, the tooling, because, you know, every developer wants to work with uh, whatever they're most comfortable and most productive with. And you got to find the space that supports that the best way. It's probably one of the benefits of having some version of shared definition, mm -hmm. right? Is like you can at least then port over that way of thinking so long as the definitions across these different providers are the same, right? But if like one is stateless and the other one does not define or one is defines as event-driven, one doesn't, then you're like, now we're going to have a problem because I'm thinking in a specific way yeah, yeah, to develop yeah. in this way. Exactly. If they were drastically different, then I think we would have a massive issue. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely massive but issue. I also think too... <clears throat> It doesn't matter which, it matters, but I, I don't think it matters too much which fast provider you choose. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, you know, they're all going to perform pretty well. I mean, Lambda is advanced. Azure Functions are advanced. Durable Functions, by the way, I really like Durable Functions when they came out because I like the idea of being able to do that orchestration in code mm -hmm. as opposed to having a completely separate state language like uh, Step Functions does in uh, in AWS um, or what's it, Google Workflows or whatever mm -hmm. the other one. I think it's Google Workflows, whatever it is. Anyways, there's too many of them to know, which is part of the problem. But beyond just the functions as a service, right? And again, forget about containers for a second. Yeah. If you want to write an app in Azure Functions, you know, even though the function itself is stateless, your application probably isn't, right? So you're going right. to need some sort of a database, right? You're going to need probably some sort of a queue. You're going to need some of these other things. So I think no matter which provider you pick, there's a whole suite and ecosystem of tools around that that you need to learn as well in order to really build an app. So I might be able to write, you know, a simple conversion function in, in Azure Functions, but if I want to connect that to a database or I want to make something sort of interesting happen, uh, I think there's a lot more to that that you have to learn. Absolutely. You know, that brings me back to like the first introduction I got to functions. And the reason we selected functions was because we needed to work with files that was already in our Azure Blob containers. Like we were already here, like grabbing that from a function was a lot easier than having to go incorporate something like uh, a Lambda or trying to figure out how to use Lambda. Everyone wanted to use Fast. It's just more so like what led us to be, to continue working with like an Azure product was, oh, we already have our data here. We already have our SQL Server instances here as well. We have our, our, our files being pushed to blob containers. Like the next step to like, oh, let's just use functions is kind of like an easy decision. Um, you could also probably make this like the right uh, argument as to like, oh, let's actually use a different cloud provider or whatnot. But yeah, you're right. You're, there's a lot more to, you're not, if you're p picking Lambda, if you're picking functions, if you're picking cloud functions, you're not just picking that, you're picking what comes with it and around it. Right. So one of the, I mean, one of the key drivers of using serverless or really anyone choosing whatever it is that they choose to build with, right? You're like, your developers want to feel however they can be most productive, whatever feels best to them. And ultimately, it's because they want to de deliver something. They want to ship the thing that is right, like ship the right feature, ship the right code, something that delivers impact to their role, their job, their business, who they're working for. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the project that you did to get you to cloud engineer. Mm -hmm. And I loved how you framed this, right? So the project was you built a serverless XML file submission mm -hmm. app. You said, yeah, I took a process that was 18 hours of weekly manual work to a monthly solution that cost $1. That is why I should be promoted. Like, basically, yeah. you could say that is the headline. <laughs> and they're like, check. Yep. They're actually like, you actually got two promotions at once. That's, you know, thank you. Plus a huge bonus. Like, so I love that project that you did to get the cloud engineer. Would love for you to, to talk a little bit about that. But you say like, hey. The person's across from you is going to ask, why do you think you deserve a promotion to cloud engineer? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering where you see some of the most ripe areas for automation organizations or what builders should be looking for, how they should start thinking about where to find those flags yeah. where they could have a huge impact, where they are 18 hours of weekly manual work. Yeah. Like, 
How, how did you discover this outsized impact that you could have with your serverless XML file submission? I, I think to start that off, I, f I feel like no one understood the impact that that actual automating that process had. Even the person who assigned it to me, they were like, yeah, we have this thing. Go figure it out. Like there's some people submitting some files. And I was like, all right, it sounds, I don't know, straightforward. It's, that's what I thought, right? I was er I was a sysadmin then earlier on in my cloud journey. And I was, I just... I felt like throughout that project, I had every stage, like, you know, I was architecting, I was administrating, I was developing, I was doing the DevOps, all this kind of stuff. And I was also the person having the conversations with the the people who were actually doing the process that would need to be, needed to be automated. I think internal tooling, internal processes is a massive, massive area for anyone who's looking to get their, like, build their experience or sort of, sort of try to get on projects or volunteer for projects. Or maybe if you have, I don't know, like, uh, you get the opportunity to work on something else. I think first look at things that you can automate or work on internally because it's not that there's less pressure but you know it's not with it not being public facing uh, maybe there's a little less pressure on you to be like okay if I mess up there's not like this massive like money loss I mean still internal tooling you know it, that still will translate to, to to money to some along but it's not like a direct impact so I definitely that definitely was a big uh, help for me to be like okay I have a little bit more time to work on this to figure this out and and, and own the solution end to end it started off with me just kind of sitting with the team, like understanding what they were doing. And I think that is a big part of like fully uh, like you understanding like, oh, is, is serverless a good fit or not a good fit? It's like sit down, have the conversations. I watched them do the do the process multiple times. I took notes. I was like, OK, I think we can use blob storage for this. I think we can use Azure Functions with a blob trigger here. And then I'm going to need to send it somewhere else because we need to archive it. Oh, we also need the results to be put in a, like a table. Like, OK, I think I could do this. Use this output binding here. And just before even building absolutely anything, playing around absolutely. I sat down and I fully understood the issue. And then I worked with them. And then what was cool is with that, with with I guess the app process, I also got to work with other teams too, because I wouldn't, there was other changes that needed to happen in other systems for this, in order for this to work and for this, this little automation to sit perfectly where it needed to sit. Uh, and that also got me closer to like our senior engineers, our data engineers, our senior software devs and things like that. Um, so I'm a big fan of like, look internally because there's, there is always something you can automate internally. Absolutely. And like this goes back to like what Jeremy were saying, like you when when you work help desk, you kind of get into the mindset of like, oh, this problem keeps happening. Like, how can we like develop a solution around this? And like if you have that mindset of like, oh, like I need to be on the lookout for for, OK, is there something that someone's doing that I, they could be spending their time better? And this was like a clear example, like they were spending two to three hours every single day, six days a week, even on Saturday, which, you know, work life balance. I don't know. That's. That, that was that's Ugh. probably another issue. That's probably another right. issue that they needed to figure out, right? And I was like, okay, that's just seems like just a, a waste of their time. Like the, they're incredibly capable analysts. Like they should be doing like what what they're supposed to be doing. But yeah, a lot of that comes from with being in like I w was wearing many hats. I could also have conversations with anyone, and I kind of became friends. And I think I developed that skill set and helped us. Was like just talk to everyone and anyone. And then they were like, yeah, I have to do this process and it's like annoying. And then they turned that into like telling my boss, like, oh, can you get Gwen to automate it? And like, you know, just being close with everyone, which is great. And yeah, I, I think internal tooling is, is a big way to, to, to get your feet wet with these kinds of things and uh, like less pressure than like a public facing thing. But again, service is capable of production level things that, you know, Netflix uses it, Legos, Coca-Cola, Nordstrom, right. uh, all these, these places. So it, it, it fits in many areas, which is great. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing about serverless is automation, DevOps automation or any sort of automation is such a great use case for it because, again, you don't have to be building these super polished apps. You just need to be able to tr trigger these things that happen. And actually, 
I've done a lot of hiring in my day, mm. and uh, we were interviewing DevOps engineers that uh, that we needed to come in and help manage infrastructure. This was before uh, this was before serverless, but uh, I remember I always asked the question, you know, what does success look like for you at this job? Like, what would you consider to be successful, uh, or how would you consider your role to be successful, or what needs to happen? Uh, and uh, he said, uh, my my goal is to automate myself out of a job. Ooh. And I said, <laughs> you'll have an inter- you'll have an offer this afternoon um, because. That was like the perfect answer. I mean, that's exactly uh, that's exactly it. The more automation and things you can add, it's it's amazing how much time. I love people who are like, well, it only takes me an hour to do this, and it would take me five hours to write a script that did it. Yes, but if you have to do that every day, and it takes you an hour every day, after a week or two weeks, guess what? You know that original time investment would be gone. So yeah, I love automation as a, as a use case um, for serverless, and I also just love it as a thing that people should absolutely be doing. Yeah, I think also just I saw how it empowered my colleagues who like now had two hours free to their day to go Mm. do other things, you know, further their skill set, which is great, too. And I think when we think of automation, like we got to also think about like, you know, you're also enabling, you're freeing other people's time. And that's that's great, too. It's not just about your work. It's sort of like that can impact down the line and up the ladder or whatnot. Right. And I've never seen anybody lose their job because they've added automation that, you know, reduced the yeah. amount of work that they had to do. <laughs> yeah. It is always something new to do. All right. Well, we're um, running out of time, speaking of time. Um, and we mentioned, uh, we mentioned, or I mentioned, uh, you know, MongoDB being in, or MongoDB World being in person this year in New York. You are also involved in a conference in New York that is coming up. Would you like to tell us about that? Absolutely. Serverless Days, New York City, we're back. Uh, well, I say we're really? back. I say more so serverless days in New York City is back. Uh, this is my first time actually organizing uh, a conference at all, which has been quite the experience. But it's going to be June 24th. Uh, we're coming up like two weeks from now. Uh, it's going to be at the Microsoft Times Square building. They're actually our, our venue sponsor. And they they allowed us to do it for free, which is cool. So we can now have, offer tickets for free as well. I think Rob, who's another organizer, saying this is one of like the yep. few serverless days events that we've been able to do for like free tickets, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, we're going to be there. And Times Square isn't like the happiest place to be in New York, but it's very accessible. It's as a New York, <laughs> I live here in New York and I know how annoying it is to be at Times Square, but it's accessible for people coming out of the city and the state. And I think that's great. Uh, we've got a great, great lineup that we just uh, I think we announced it two days ago or so. Uh, very excited for that. We've got people from all over the world coming in. Uh, we got a super special keynote speaker as well, I've heard. <laughs> I heard about that. I heard about that. I'm excited. Yeah, very, very. Wait, I haven't heard. Am I supposed to know? <laughs> oh, I, it, it says on the website mystery speaker, but by the time, oh, oh. Uh, but by the time this airs, uh, I think it will be announced. I am giving the keynote. So I am doing a there talk on okay. the past, present and future of serverless. Uh, and I will be talking about serverless containers. Oh, that's awesome. I'm oh looking forward goodness. to that. That's going to be great. A great, a great one. Yeah, we're all, I'm, I'm just excited. Why did I not know this? <laughs> I feel duped. <laughs> what a reveal. Yeah. Well, maybe you just announced it, but that that's cool. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I, going back at the beginning, I, I remember you saying like the difference between in-person events and uh, online events. And I remember the first in-person tech event I uh, attended was an AWS summit at the, the Javits Center. And mm, that yep. was like, I don't know, maybe four years ago. And because I had come to New York for that. And that was the, the moment I was like, I want to live in New York. And I would have not had that, that sort of thought if I didn't attend that conference. And I was like, you know, I had spent like two days in New York because of that. Hung out with friends, sort of was around the culture. And I was like, I really want to live here. And like, you know, now I do, which is awesome. But that wouldn't have happened if I never attended that event. 
Awesome. And the Javits Center, that's where I was yesterday. And I had no idea, but they have a working farm on the roof of the Javits Center. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. Very cool. Um, well, anyways, uh, well, I am looking forward to Serverless Days New York. I hope people uh, will join us there. I'm uh, assuming it'll be recorded and so forth. So for the people that can't make it, hopefully they'll be able to watch it later. But yep. um, it should be super exciting. Um, and again, thank you for organizing this. If anybody has ever tried to organize a conference um, or if you if you have any complaints about organizing a conference or how a co conference is organized, go try organizing one yourself oh. and then then come back and, uh, and, and, and tell me your complaints because it is very hard. So um, thank you it's so like much for organizing. It's like the help desk for events. <laughs> it is You're like, listen. Right. Listen. So, back full circle. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So anyways, thank you so much for, for organizing that, you and Rob Sutter, and I think uh, Richard Boyd is part of that as mm -hmm. well, right? So. Um, so just awesome uh, group of people. It should be an amazing event. Uh, and, and Microsoft, when we did Serverless Days Boston, uh, Microsoft sponsored our space as well. So um, we were able to do that uh, without any cost uh, of, of the space. So we were able to do a lot more uh, other things with that. So that's super awesome of Microsoft. But anyways, so if people do want to find out more about you or watch the videos on your YouTube channel, you've got so much stuff going on, uh, how do they do that? Yeah, uh, probably the easiest way or uh, the place I'm more active or most active is uh, like my Twitter. If you ever like my DMs are open, if you have any questions, anything, want to check cloud, career, help desk, serverless, anything uh, I'm made by GPS on Twitter. Actually made by GPS everywhere. I well, I got lucky where I was like, my username is available everywhere. So like Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch. If you go to aka.ms slash made by GPS, all my links are there. And that's probably like the easiest. I, I make new YouTube videos about literally anything cloud related almost every every week. Uh, and I, I host a lot of like workshops with like advocacy stuff, events. Uh, I'm always playing around with something new in Azure. So yeah, connect with me. We'll, it's, a, we'll it's a trove. It really is a library. You have like things about certification, things about getting started in like what what the gotchas are, how like beginners, intermediate. It's really cool. Highly recommended. Oh, thank Six you so out much. of five stars. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we'll get all that stuff in the show notes. Thanks again, Gwen. Thank you all. this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Gwen Peña Seguenza for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, Lamigo. If you want to check out the show notes and the full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 140. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter at Becca Odelay and me at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.